Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here is Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode four being recorded on Wednesday, December 2nd which makes this the post-holiday edition. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Scott Wingo. Scott, there's only 16 more days until Star Wars and only 345 days until next Singles Day. Are you ready? I am. In fact, since this is episode four, I think we should call it A New Hope. (laughs) I'm totally in. Accepted. Although we probably should have skipped at least episode one uh, using that metaphor. Yeah, that was our Jar Jar Binks. Exactly. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, It was terrific. You guys traveled with a baby in a car. That's always fun. I did. I did. Uh, He enjoyed the first half of the ride and let us know that it was probably a tad too long for him. Got to change the diapers every once in a while. That's my my new new parent advice for you. A lot to talk about this week. Obviously, we're just a couple days after the big uh, North American holiday season. And so uh, why don't we start by uh, talking about what we can learn from the same source sales data over the over the cyber five. Yeah, so it was a very busy uh, press period for myself. Did you do a lot of press interviews as well? I did. Obviously, nothing compared to you, um, but it felt busy for me as well. Good, good. The uh, So I apologize if my voice is lower than usual. I've been talking nonstop for like the last six days. Um, so it, it was pretty exciting. The We call it the Cyber Five, which is those five days, including Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday. Uh, it was up 20.9%, which, is, which feels good given that we're – we had that range of forecasts we've talked about between eight and 15%. So it feels good to be north of that. Uh, I will caution that it's still early in the holiday. So, you know, we, we kind of have to wait to see how the rest of it forms up, but uh, it's better than starting at 2% and hoping we, we do better. Uh, a couple of the, the three things I just wanted to point out that were surprises to me. Um, number one was Thanksgiving. Uh, last year it grew kind of in line with the cyber five, uh, around 20%, uh, last year as well. Uh, this year it grew 46% year over year. So Thanksgiving was a huge winner. So yay, Thanksgiving. Um, I think a lot of it was, uh, I guess we'll talk about it a little bit, but, uh, you know, pretty interesting to see that unusual data point. And what that means is if, if I kind of rank the, we talk a lot about year over year growth rates, which is pretty important in our world of retail. But if I kind of rank stack by size, the Cyber Five, Cyber Monday has always been number one. And then you had Black Friday, number two. And then you had either Saturday or Sunday from that weekend. And then you had Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was kind of a distant number five. This year, Thanksgiving leapt to the number three spot. And it has a pretty good shot. If it can kind of do this performance it did this year, next year, it will be right up there with Black Friday, which is kind of interesting. So Thanksgiving, literally could become the new Black Friday. So that's that's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I think that goes straight to your notion of naming it the Cyber Five, that the distinctions between each of those days are diminishing. And obviously, I, I think your data and everyone else's data confirm that Cyber Monday is growing the slowest of those five days as the traffic spreads out. And one obvious part of that is, Part of the reason that traffic was was segmented in the old days was you only had internet access for part of those five days, or you were only in front of a computer for part of those five days. And now, of course, I think everyone has 
access to to online shopping at any moment during those five days. So it's more about uh, consumer preferences and what else they have going on in their lives and not just when they happen to be in the office in front of the boss's laptop. Yeah. And, um, uh, that's another surprise that I, I actually, it's a bonus surprise that I saw when you look at the shape of Cyber Monday, it used to be kind of between three and five Eastern is when it would peak because you had kind of the East, West and central kind of online and work shopping, right? Uh, this goes back four or five years ago. Now it has moved to the evening. So it's kind of in this 10 to 11 PM hour. And I think it's people are at home. They're on the couch. Uh, maybe some of the West Coasters are still kind of uh, at work, but uh, it's really interesting to see that that I think we've added a lot of time that people are online now because of these devices. It's it's kind of obvious, but it's interesting to see it in the data, kind of show that that it's pretty meaningful. Um, speaking of mobile, I, I know uh, we'll spend a lot of episode four here talking about this, but um, we we decided it's so confusing to use the word mobile. We we always split it out now, so we use smartphone, tablet, and desktop slash computer. Uh, and smartphone came in at 49% of traffic. And, and I always remind people the algebra formula that, that I think through is you have traffic, a conversion rate and orders. The, so smartphones were 49% of traffic, which translated because of their conversion rate to 27% of orders. Uh, and then year over year, that smartphone traffic doubled. If we look at kind of the cyber five this year versus last year, which is, which is pretty amazing. Um, a negative surprise. One thing that I've, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, it before smartphone conversions, even though retailers have spent, I would imagine at least a hundred million dollars in aggregate, if not, you know, close to a billion dollars, uh, the conversion rates that we see haven't really moved. So, uh, it's kind of interesting that, you know, we're still at this kind of a third, the rate of desktop year over year, at least, um, now maybe over a longer arc, those have improved, but the, just kind of looking at the year over year data. So. And I have to admit, I've been so heads down kind of analyzing what we're seeing that I have not peeked my head up uh, uh, to see what else was out there. And I know you gobble this stuff up like a turkey leg. So what uh, what did you see when you looked at all the different other data that came out? Yeah, well, so obviously mostly what I do is follow you. And so for the most part, what I learned is what you just shared with the rest of us. But I did catch a couple of other interesting spins on the holiday. Uh, one that's pretty interesting and I think worth pointing out to our listeners, 538, which is uh, Nate Silver's blog, uh, ran an interesting piece reminding people that all of these uh, quickly available sales results and estimates of holiday performance based on these little fragments of data that we're getting over these five days are statistically not very valid, right? Like, and I think the title of their article may have been Black Friday sales numbers are useless and wrong. <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of reporters out there that, are, you know, this time of year have to write stories about consumer behavior and, and their shopping. And so they're out there looking for subject matter experts and data to include in those articles. And, you know, frankly, every uh, online vendor that has a customer has some kind of data set that they're interested in sharing. And, you know, very often they're, they're sharing data from part of Thursday and using that to extrapolate all of Thursday or worse, they're using Thursday to extrapolate all five days. Or, you know, in many cases, they're using these five days to extrapolate the likely performance for the entire holiday period. And so I, I think the, the 538 article is just a good reminder that this these particular five days are super interesting and fascinating uh, to all of us that follow uh, e-commerce and shopping, but they're definitely not. They, there's not a strong correlation to behavior over these five days and uh, behavior over the entire holiday period. Um, and in fact, there's 
even some articles that remind us that there's sometimes a negative correlation, that sometimes in, in a season when there's not a lot of consumer spending power or there's not a lot of consumer confidence, that more of the shopping happens over Cyber 5 as people are uh, more deal-seeking, whereas uh, in holiday periods where they, they spend more overall or they have a greater degree of confidence, that they keep spending from Thanksgiving all the way through the end of the season. And so um, I, I did find a number of interesting folks making that that point that that we should take all of this data with a grain of salt and not read too much into it. I did see a couple other really interesting things, though. Um, as we know, a couple retailers famously stayed closed for Friday, and a lot of retailers stayed closed on Thursday and tried to make a PR thing out of the socially redeeming features of, of taking Thanksgiving off. Hashtag opt outside. Exactly. And so some, some folks took the similar web data, which is a third party data source that measures traffic on the web. And they looked at the web traffic for sites like REI versus the web traffic for other sites. And what they found is that REI's traffic on Thursday and Friday grew at a much faster rate than other similar retailers and their direct competitors that were open on those days. And they found that true across a bunch of categories. They compared retailers that were open Thursday against retailers that were only open on Friday in the same category, like office products or things like that. And they found this this odd correlation that the stores that closed seemed to get much higher web traffic. And while you know they weren't prepared to say, hey, this is a a causation. They said that, you know, it's at least possible um, that some consumers are rewarding some of these retailers for not going overboard on the holiday hours um, with more web visits. And so I, I don't know if I believe that, um, but I would certainly like to believe that. I think it's conspiracy theory. I think the online guys were like to the offline guys, hey, we should close all the stores on Black Friday. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I, I think it is, especially in all those retailers that are still siloed and have separate KPIs. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, those are the same retailers that are uh, offering free returns if you take them to the store, knowing that the return gets credited against the store. Uh, it's evil, but it works. But so let, let's turn, like, I do think one of the most interesting conversations about the holiday data was mobile behavior. And, you know, it's interesting. I think your data was in line with a lot of the other data sources. If you, if we all had that same consistent definition for mobile equaling smartphones and not tablets. And so, you know, I certainly wish you and I had the power to enforce your naming conventions on the rest of the industry. But at the moment, you know, a bunch of these guys, when they talk about mobile, are including tablets in their mobile number. Yeah. It, it's interesting. The, the kind of the, my take on how we got here, and I'd like to hear if you think the same thing is, about two years ago, everyone called mobile smartphone and tablet. We just did. And then Google decided, no, 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 we're going to, you know, and we can talk about why they did this, but they, they said, no, tablet acts more like desktop. So, so for bidding purposes, we're going to call that tablet now lives in desktop and mobile equals smartphone. Um, so that's when we, we, because, you know, Google is so prevalent with everyone. Uh, online, if not retailers, we decided to kind of at least say, "Hey, there's now we're, we're we have confusion. Let's break this out and be more clear." Um, it's interesting to me that that these other guys kind of haven't caught on to that. 
Is that your recollection of how we kind of got here? Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. I guess the other part of it is a lot of these guys, their measurement methodology involves doing things like installing plugins in browsers. And so it turns out that the desktop browsers support plugins, but both the smartphones and tablet browsers generally do not. And so, like, frankly, from just a practical convenience, if you're a ComScore or a Alexa or similar web or some of those that are relying on your users installing a plugin so you can track their browser behavior, it just is more convenient to call the smartphones and the tablets the same thing. What other mobile things did you see? If you lump those uh, smartphones and tablets together, certainly the majority of, of retailers were reporting greater than 50% of their traffic mobile. If you lump those two things together, it was like 40% of all sales seems like the sort of con- consistent theme. I will say that amongst our customer base, we saw a lot of retailers improve their mobile conversion rate a little bit, which sounds like you didn't see as much in your data one one thing that's very different around holiday is people come to a website with much higher buying intent over these particular days. And so conversion in general is much higher than it normally is. Yeah, we definitely saw that, to be clear. It's just the year over year didn't really change. Exactly. We both saw some, some mobile conversion improve, um, but I would also say that like we saw mobile conversion improving prior to holiday. So uh, looking at an entire year worth of data, like we often talk about that mobile gap, the conversion rate on a mobile phone versus a, a laptop, and it used to pretty consistently be four to one. And now for most most of the sites that we can look at, it looks like more like three to one, even going into holiday. And so I, I am optimistic and I tend to believe pe- people are starting to get more comfortable in buying more often on mobile phones, but it still is a significant challenge for retailers and you know frankly a huge number of mobile websites and mobile particularly mobile e-commerce experience this is just still simply suck and so you know a lot of that conversion i think we can directly contribute to the fact that that a lot of folks haven't invested the same uh, amount of effort in the usability of their mobile experiences as they they have in their desktop experiences you know one i guess outlier uh, that's pretty interesting is uh, walmart uh, did a recap of their their Cyber Five, and they mentioned that seventy percent of all their sessions were mobile, and that almost fifty percent of all their sales were mobile. So that's a a huge spike, and I think they would say that a much higher percentage of mobile on holiday than they would traditionally see. But that's still they're normally at like fifty percent mobile, and for holiday they're at seventy. Wow. When um, a fun fact is when. When a retailer, an online retailer's sales cross over that 50% transaction wise, uh, they call it their mobile moment. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I do think lots of retailers are in denial about, uh, about the fact that their mobile moment has happened. Yeah. Cause they've, they've, they've crossed that threshold. But when you go to their office and you, you ask to see the new concepts for any experience on their website, I can virtually guarantee you the screenshots you're going to see are from a desktop uh, experience. So just to kind of take it to 30,000 foot view. So, um, the, the data I always cite is desktop, take holiday out, out of the picture. These things all spike up, but you know, over the course of the year, a normal week during the year, not July 14th, not Cyber Monday, somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, desktop is generally 3%, tablet converts at two and a half, and then smartphone is anywhere from like 0.8 to one. So to your point, about a third the rate of desktop. Um, 
I know what I always say. I'm curious to hear what you say. What What do you think causes that? I suspect we slightly disagree on this. Like I, I do think it's a amalgamation of problems. The The biggest thing is the checkout experience sucks on a lot of e-commerce sites and it's exacerbated on mobile, both because people have put less effort into it and there's just less screen real estate to do it well. And so I, I do think a big part of it is checkout friction. We see much higher uh, cart abandonment on mobile. We, we, we see a lot of engagement on mobile. We don't frankly see that, that much lower engagement times or page views, but people tend to not transact. And part of it is it's no fun to fill out that, that 23 field form on a mobile phone to check out. And it's particularly annoying to type your credit card number I like to joke it takes three hands, right? One to hold the phone, one to tap the screen, and one to hold your credit card. Mm-hmm. Most most of us don't have that. So I do think a big part of the the mobile gap is usability, and it definitely feels like when retailers make a concerted effort to improve that checkout experience, it's very easy to measure the improvement in conversion rate. There, historically, I do think part of it has been this multi-device thing where people start to shop on their their mobile phone and uh, they abandon that at some point and switch to a, a desktop or tablet to finish. And I'm perfectly willing to concede that a bunch of those people like that, that behavior is likely to stop. And, you know, when, when they give up checking out on your mobile device, like they're probably just as likely to go to someone else's website, like Amazon's that they know is, is more mobile friendly. And I do think there's a big opportunity for uh, somebody to solve the mobile wallet problem on on e-commerce sites. And in North America at the moment, that's PayPal, but there's still lots of room to uh, help consumers store their credit card information once and use that for checking out on on mobile every single time. Even the PayPal, when you get to PayPal, it's a good experience, but you don't really get there until so late in the process. A lot of times you don't really realize you know it's going to be even available. So I, I wonder if people bail out before they even get to the PayPal part. Yep. And or it's not communicated well that that's going to be an option. And I would even say PayPal's made a lot of strides in improving their mobile checkout. It still to me has a lot of room for improvement, but the majority of e-commerce sites that have implemented PayPal have have an older implementation, so they don't even have PayPal's best practices. Yeah, and the thing that's always kind of painful about PayPal is they always want you to use ACH and I always want to use credit card and until they kind of get over that user experience problem that, you know, they're, they're economically disincented to let you store a payment mechanism. Um, I think that's going to be kind of a problem for them too. Yep. And at the moment, there's a ton of competition. They're going to be more focused on it because it's their sole business now. But at the same time, you know, Amazon is making a significant effort there. Like obviously Amazon has a bunch of baggage in that space. Uh, Visa, MasterCard, American Express are all, you know, coming out with their own products. Samsung? Yeah, absolutely. Samsung now. Um, and of course, everyone wants to talk about Apple. The current Apple product, Apple Pay, doesn't really play in this space. They don't try to help you check out from a website. Um, they, they will happily help you check out very, very seamlessly from a, a mobile app. But all those guys are fighting with each other right now. And I, I do think, uh, that a year or two from now, like some winners might emerge and, frankly, just a better way for them all to play with each other. Like, I, I don't want to see all those logos on my checkout. But if I, if you're a customer of, of checkout by Visa and you have their cookie on, on your browser, I'll happily show you the Visa logo when, when uh, you get to checkout. And at the moment, none of those guys want to do that because they all want to win 100% of the customers for themselves. Yeah. And, um, the only thing I'll add, I, I, I agree with you on, on a lot of that. The, 
the thing that's interesting is if you kind of study what goes on in China, it's a consumer setting, right? So the consumer has there's three or four payment options out there. They may be they may favor Alipay or I always forget what Ten Cents one is called. Uh, WePay, I think, uh, is the WeChat payment system, and there's a couple others. Um, Amazon has one. Uh, you know, so so what you do is you got you know regardless of your platform, you set it up in your phone, and then now you just shop that way. So when you're on Alibaba. Uh, it pulls in your your account that you want, and even if you're on one of the ten cent par- properties, it will pull. It will just say, "All right, we'll we'll you've you've asked for Alipay, we'll let that happen." Yep. Um, so it the then result is it's a much better consumer experience. And the last time I looked, their um, their traffic is kind of like what you were saying with Walmart, where they're at something like seventy seventy five percent mobile, and they're well north of fifty percent in sales. And and their conversion rate is it's still not as good as desktop, but it's it's you know, it, it's it's better than half. Even it's kind of we're at a third, and I think they're past the half rate of of getting there. So, yep. I, I I would also say that they're way higher in terms of the percentage of mobile shoppers that are shopping from an app, right? So, you know, so many of those shoppers are shopping through the WeChat platform, for example, um, and that makes that's even one step less friction. You're already logged in and authenticated, and so when you you shop anyone through the browser in WeChat. You you have access to your stored payment information, so it's it's frankly the from a consumer's perspective, it's the way payments should be handled, and I expect will be handled in the next couple of years here. But right now, it's definitely a friction point. One of the other things from the holiday I wanted to ask you about uh, was what what interesting products you saw. the The favorite one I kind of um, was kind of unknown to me before holiday. I guess I had heard about it a little bit, but it's these things, these they're called hoverboards and everyone always thinks, Oh, it's like the back to the future hoverboard. It's not really a hoverboard. It's like a little mini segue on wheels. Um, and what's, what's really fascinating about this is, you know, it just came on the scene and there's no real brand. I mean, it's kind of like tissues or something. It's, you know, it's just this very generic thing. The, the one I've seen the most of is called swagway. Um, and a lot of the kids, uh, teenagers call these skywalkers, which I'm a fan of the, uh, we'll put it in the tidbits, but I was, uh, I've always kind of been curious about how, how did this happen? You know, why is there no Apple of hoverboards? And there was a really interesting, uh, NPR segment. They, uh, they have this thing called planet money where they do a little bit of a, you know, exploration to something around economies and, and currency and stuff. And they did this really interesting kind of 10 minute dive into how this came to be. I'll, I'll uh, let folks kind of check that out. Um, but we had a customer that had a bunch of these and I forget where they sold them. Uh, but they sold like 3000 cyber Monday morning and they thought that would last all day and it was gone in like, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, and, uh, they, their price point was about 400. These things started at 600 probably two weeks ago. And now the price point has just kind of come way, way down. And I'm starting to see them kind of get below that 400, kind of heading to 350. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how this plays out. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's funny. Like here's an example. I talk a lot about how in general brand is eroding and is less important. And here's a, a perfect example of a hot uh, trend from an unbranded product. And ironically, the fact that it's unbranded kind of uh, bit me in the butt, right? Like it's, it was on uh, the uh, the Christmas list of my six year old nephew, and so I'm online trying to do some research to even figure out if that's age appropriate. And they all look the same, and they, you know, there's there's hundred and seventy five dollar versions, and it's very difficult to ascertain the difference between the hundred and seventy five dollar version and the six hundred dollar version, and you know if. 
when these companies give their age ranges, if they're remotely credible and, and all of those sorts of things. So I, I found myself wishing there were an Apple of hoverboards. And then I quickly reminded myself, wait a minute, Apple could come out with a hoverboard three years from now and still claim to invent the category. So <laughs> some of them, the most expensive one have Bluetooth capability. And I don't really know what that is. Like, do you steer it from your phone or something? I, I- uh, I think potentially they they play cool music while you ride around and mock your friends that still have to walk. Uh, I'll just throw a speaker in my pocket and be done with. I kind of assumed you already had a speaker in your pocket. <laughs> what other things uh, have you seen doing well in the roundups? Yep. Well, every every time I see the roundups, I think of you because I feel like anything that was remotely associated with Star Wars um, met and exceeded expectations. My personal favorite purchase of my own from the holiday season, it was not a hot best-selling product, but I just splurged and bought this $25 Mattel Viewmaster, which is basically just a a nicely made plastic version of the Google Cardboard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, myself and my nephews had a blast with it over the the weekend because there's there's an ever increasing number of cool apps coming out to do fun stuff with the Google Cardboard, and it was kind of fun to have that same sort of cheesy 3D ViewMaster experience that I remembered as a kid with, you know, kids that grew up with with iPhones. Did you try any of their content? Because they have like um, almost like we had in the day, they sell little packs of ViewMasters, but I think it's just some kind of access code for downloading like the Sahara Desert or something. Exactly. It comes with a trial thing and it's in the shape of those old Viewmaster reels, but you're exactly right. Like each one is just a QR code that that launches a different a different experience. And one of the experiences is Google has Google Street View uh for cardboard, which is kind of fun. Um, so you can basically explore any any street through the cardboard, which is which is pretty cool. I, I know like the things that you would expect. The TVs were huge sellers this year. I think the Xbox One was Target's best skew for this year. Um, anything jump out at you or surprise you? Uh, I thought it was unusual. The consoles were big sellers because they're not new. You know, they're they're kind of getting a little long in the tooth even. And, and they, I, I kept seeing Xbox one and PS fours kind of uh, as top sellers. I even saw a couple Wii U's thrown in, in some of the recaps as well. I think target called out Wii U as, as a big seller. Yeah. Um, the Amazon echo, Amazon echo, Amazon echo. <laughs> it, it, uh, I think it did pretty well. So it'll, Amazon doesn't really disclose much, but they, they called it out in one of their press releases. They were down to like 150 bucks, 149 bucks for the holiday. Yeah, yeah, they had a good discount on that. My family do fight for what room the the Echo lives in, which is interesting. Have you played around with? Um, there's a lot of buzz. I haven't had a chance to play with it, but that that site, if this then that, ifttt has added a bunch of cool new Amazon Echo things, and people are raving about what it can do. Yeah, that has been totally fun. Uh, I also did, and I'm going to be embarrassed that I can't remember the name of the company. But someone is selling third-party buttons that are sort of like the Amazon Dash buttons, uh, but that you you know are these cheap little Bluetooth buttons that you can link to if then the, uh, if this then that scripts. Um, that's hard to say, by the way. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I I ordered a pack of those. I haven't gotten them yet, but I just think it could be fun to you know trigger stuff all over the house. Cool. Sounds exciting. I did uh, one thing, like when we're talking about hot products, uh, one interesting stat from Adobe was this notion that 16% of all the products viewed over CyberFive were actually products that were out of stock. 
So you think about like the normal out of stock rates are, are, you know, generally around that like six or 7%. And so 16%, that's a huge lost opportunity for retailers, you know, that a lot of folks were looking at the hoverboard after it sold out. Yeah, that's kind of a good, uh, when I was hoverboard uh, evaluating on Cyber Monday, I happened to go over to Target who had a doorbuster on this and, um, the first time I went to Target, it wouldn't even load. And the second time I got this fun message that kind of said, thanks for stopping by. We've put you in our traffic queue and sit here and your page will automatically refresh and you'll be brought into a wonderful shopping experience. Um, so, And did you do that? Did you spend the rest of your day sitting on that page waiting? I did. I sat there for 24 hours and uh, it did not refresh. You are the best. <laughs> no, I quickly disbelieved that and refreshed as many times as I could. And I actually got a couple of transactions through the day, but it was um, it was pretty exciting that you know they had this 15% off site-wide. And in my memory, it was the most aggressive sale I've ever seen because I kept find, trying to find exclusions and I couldn't find a single one. Usually it'll be a Dyson, a Apple product, uh, you know, a GoPro, a Samsung TV, something will say, sorry, not included, but this thing was everywhere. So, um, so it, it's interesting to kind of think what is the worst customer experience? Is it just having out of stocks? Is it being kind of soft down? Is it being hard down? What other kind of cyber five crashes did you see in bad customer experiences? I mean, there were certainly some notable crashes. Uh, I- to me, overall, and this is entirely anecdotal, it felt like there were less like highly publicized fails than there had been the last couple of holidays. So I'd like to feel like we're making progress. Certainly, uh, like there was a lot of buzz around Neiman Marcus being down. Uh, what a lot of people didn't talk about is a bunch of the luxury brands still don't have their own e-commerce sites. And so a bunch of them are actually run by Neiman Marcus. And so when they're down, not only were they down, but they took a bunch of their, their uh, luxury partners down with them. Um, I know Best Buy Canada was down for a while. The Target one was interesting to me because like, there was a big buzz that they were down for about an hour and a half uh, during that 15% deal. And uh, a lot of people put on Twitter that the picture of that, that, uh, site not available page and Target quickly responded. Like they launched a PR effort and said, no, 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 we did not crash. We were just throttling traffic. We put those people in a queue because we didn't have enough server capacity to take care of them, but nothing crashed. And I, I'll take them at the word. I believe that that's true, but I actually wonder if that's good news or bad news. Like if the site crashed, that, that meant that something you, that you didn't anticipate or weren't able to prepare for caused you to not be able to take care of all your guests in Target's vernacular. But the fact that they had to throttle meant that they made a business decision to have a certain amount of server capacity and that they exceeded that amount of capacity and therefore put all these customers in a queue. And part of me would say, man, you're, you're making such a huge investment in e-commerce. You're doing this super aggressive promotion. It's not like... That was a completely unpredictable amount of traffic. It's certainly not like Target doesn't have other major events that they they uh, can use to forecast this kind of traffic. So part of me felt like when they came out and were saying, hey, we didn't crash, we intentionally put some of those customers in a queue, that that to me is a worse experience. Like that, that was preventable, whereas a crash oftentimes uh, is, is more difficult to prevent. Um, I also did notice that a number of vendors that a lot of e-commerce sites rely on crash at some point during the weekend. I know PayPal was down for a while. That could be a huge deal for retailers. Avalara, which is one of the big tools that a lot of e-commerce sites use to calculate their sales tax, was down. Um, and so I think some sites were left in this position where they had to say, 
hey, we're not going to charge tax and then we have to eat it or do we turn down those orders or, you know, how do we deal with that? Um, I, I look at those things and that's, that's always one of the topics, uh, of conversation that I have with clients well before the holidays is it's super critical to know if you're an e-commerce site, who are all those third parties that your site is dependent on? And for the average e-commerce site, it's 60 other companies that have tags on your site that are going to have a negative uh, derogatory effect on your performance if they go down. And in the same way, it's really hard for you to do all the uh, holiday readiness and make sure that your site can handle the traffic. Those vendors have that same spike from all of their customers at once. So they're frankly more likely to have a problem than you are. And so it's super important that A, you know who they are. B, you know what their phone number is so you can reach out to them and take some corrective action. And wherever possible, you need to design the site in a way that you can gracefully survive those those sites crashing. So a bunch of Avalara clients you know, cash the tax table. And so if they can't get the new tax table from Avalara when they're checking out a particular customer, instead of not charging tax, they they use the table that they downloaded five minutes earlier. And so there's lots of sort of fallback things like that that you can do to be more graceful. If you see the PayPal's down, you cannot show the PayPal logo on your checkout versus throwing some to PayPal and then having it um, having it crash. And we we call all those those hard dependencies on third parties, single points of failure or spoffs. And so uh, super important for, for e-commerce leaders to have a list of those spoffs in their office, know what they are, uh, and know what kind of uh, remediation they can take if any of them do have a problem. And I was sorry to see a couple of retailers learn that the hard way this weekend. Yep, they got spoffed. Exactly. Don't get spoffed. We should, uh, we should sell T-shirts for that next year. I'm in. If only we had a way to sell something in high volume to a lot of consumers. Hmm. Maybe we could set up a kiosk in a mall. Anyway, uh, so uh, one terrible experience that I promised my wife I would share. Uh, we divvied up our list of things we had to get. I uh, have to admit I got all mine on Amazon, and they're already here. Um, she got two notifications today, so half the things she ordered, she got a notification today. Uh, you know, and, and we're recording this on Wednesday, and I think some of these she ordered even earlier than Cyber Monday, so at least kind of three days that sorry we cannot fulfill your order um so there there's definitely a lot of a lot of investment retailers need to make to improve the customer experience that they have out there and uh it always makes me appreciate how amazon's able to do this at the scale they are it's pretty impressive yeah that's crazy i mean that is a worse customer experience than crashing in a variety of ways um but i'm i'm guessing it's a safe bet that your wife isn't going to rely on those retailers for her shopping next season she was pretty cheesed, and one of them was kind of said, you know, one of the fun, funniest messages was they said, here's 20% off your next purchase. Sorry about that. And it's kind of like, yeah, why would I ever buy from you again if you're going to kind of say you have something and you don't have it and make me lose kind of four days of, of you know, holiday shopping here? Yep. Thankfully, we, 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 it's early enough that it won't be a huge thing. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that really gets people turned off. Yeah, not a good experience at all. We got like maybe a couple more minutes so we could kind of do some quickies uh last time we talked about ad blockers did you see the whole yahoo ad blocker thing yeah i part of me wonders if they intentionally did this during cyber five so that it wouldn't get so that the news would be pushed down a little bit but uh for those that didn't see the news um yahoo mail 
turned themselves off for customers that were using an ad blocker. So if you weren't willing to look at the ads when you checked your Yahoo Mail, Yahoo uh, turned off your ability to check your email. Uh, I do, you know, the ad blockers have been in the e-commerce news a few times this year. Earlier this year, Apple launched their new OS. And one of the marquee features was that you could now install ad blockers in Safari mm-hmm. on the, the iOS devices. And an unintended consequence of that is Apple did not provide an ad blocker. The ad blockers all came from third parties that got, got an opportunity to monetize this by writing their own software and selling it on the App Store. And a bunch of the best-selling ad blockers either intentionally or inadvertently blocked a bunch of the tools that e-commerce sites use, many of which are not ads. They were blocking things like analytics. Uh, they were they were blocking you know features of the website, ratings and reviews, um, social sharing buttons, all sorts of things like that. Search. I saw a couple of retailers that, that kind of use that outsourced search model, and um, that was down. Exactly. And, and those things are particularly painful because if you're a, a big e-commerce site and suddenly iOS users can't use your site, A, uh, we haven't talked about this, but amongst mobile, iOS hugely outperforms any other devices for e-commerce. Like the overwhelming majority of mobile shoppers are actually on iOS devices. So, you know, the day that those ad blockers come out and suddenly search doesn't work on your site, who do you call the, to to re- remediate that? Like it's all these individual sellers of ad blocking software on the app store that you suddenly have to track down and convince that that uh, SLI or Indeca is not an actual nefarious advertising technology, but a core part of your your e commerce site. So it's that was a total mess. Um, and I think it's mostly played out at this point. I think most of the the popular ad blockers have have sort of uh, whitelisted a bunch of those tools. This, the same thing could and likely will happen over and over again as uh, the tools for blocking these these unwanted pixels um, get better and better and consumers you know, take, take more steps to avoid this stuff that they don't really want. Yeah. The, uh, a couple articles I saw were interesting were kind of in this meme of retail stores are dying. Um, one of them, I saw this cited several times. I think it was all from the same data where they saw that Thanksgiving and uh, Black Friday were down year over year for for offline. I saw, I think it was like 1.5%. Um, and then the other big news is, it's kind of sad, uh, is the Toys R Us, the, the kind of the flagship that they have in Times Square, is closing. Yeah, I, I saw that as well. The definitely sad about the Toys R Us that that was an iconic store, and you know that's in a way that's kind of the second shoe to drop for them. Toys R Us also owned um, FAO Schwartz, and of course mm-hmm. FAO Schwartz had a even more iconic store um, on Fifth Avenue that's basically right behind where the Apple Store is now. And uh, mm-hmm. I think last year they had to close that store, and now they're closing their flagship. I mean, I, I take those articles about the death of retail, like in general with a grain of salt, but particularly this weekend. I mean, they're all basically citing the same kind of super partial data from Shopper Track and Retail Next. And those guys are all saying like, oh gosh, uh, sales were down in store this holiday period, you know, between five and 10% and sales were up in e-commerce. And so then the reporters are like, well, that's not as interesting a headline as saying, Retail is dying. It's being put out of business by by online. And I certainly, you know, uh, I don't think you can extrapolate the partial data that they collect for those couple of days into a, 
uh, oh my gosh, retail is, is a dead conclusion. Online rules, offline drools, as my kids would say. That is true, but that does mean that 93% of all sales are drooling. <laughs> the um, one thing I thought was interesting is Amazon has this weird habit now, the night before Cyber Monday, of releasing drone news. They did the big 60-minute reveal two years ago. And uh, I subscribed to the Amazon YouTube channel, and it popped up there's a new video. And I watched it, and it wasn't really clear. It's that dude from uh, that car show. <laughs> and uh, he uh, they paid like $200 million to bring the car show to Amazon. Anyway, um, he's kind of sitting there talking, and this kid is about to go to a sports game, and a dog eats his shoe. And then an Amazon drone delivers a new shoe in less than 15 minutes. Um, what was interesting is at, at, when I talk to most retailers, they think this is all a joke. And even even delivery companies, package delivery companies, kind of think there's no way this is going to happen. But then whenever I talk to anyone at Amazon, they are very serious, and they say, oh, yeah, we're on version 10. What you saw was version 2. So what was interesting to me in this video is it's a whole new platform. And previously, we've seen quadcopters and octocopters in the Primair program. And the problem with those kind of drones is uh, that they just soak battery life like crazy. Because you're running the engines times however many, four or eight, uh, they just really they have maybe a, you know, a 20-minute battery life when you're carrying a package. So there's no way to get it somewhere and back. So it, what I thought was interesting is um, when Google came out with their drone, they it, it was kind of what's called a hybrid model. So kind of like a Osprey or a Harrier, it has a uh, for vertical lift, it can kind of go into quadcopter mode and then um, which eats up battery. But then for horizontal movement, it has more of a fixed wing kind of a model where you can kind of really run the engines a lot slower and use the dynamics of wings and, and wind to to save a lot of power. Uh, and this new drone that Amazon showed was was a hybrid model. Uh, it was pretty interesting. The way it delivers the payload was pretty cool. Uh, and uh, they did have one little quick screenshot. You have to kind of watch the video twice maybe to catch it, where a lot of the, the next thinking around drones is not only the hardware platform, but the software. So things like how do you how do you, uh, you know, do the route management? How do you avoid things? What sensors does a drone have? It's almost kind of like the self-driving cars. These drones now are going to have quite a bit of software on them for, you know, um, getting somewhere in a very safe way. So, uh, Amazon had a couple screenshots in there that I thought were really cool. So I definitely recommend listeners kind of keep an eye on that. I, I guess I'm an optimist. I think, I think, uh, Amazon is really going to try to make a go of this. And I don't think it's just a PR stunt. I think they're quite serious about it. Oh, I, I t- totally agree. Um, the, I thought part of the cool video, you just thinking through all the, the new use cases you have to solve, uh, in the video, the, the family had a Amazon logo landing pad, right? And so you, you essentially put that pad out in your yard and that was the designation of the, the safe place to, to land and deliver the package. Um, which makes perfect sense that you would have to solve all those things like where, uh, if a drone's bringing the package to you, where do you want that package delivered? Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, uh, not rocket science, but uh, although I guess it is, uh, at least Bernoulli's theorem was an advancement of rocket science. Um, but I, I saw some other news that they're going to take over our living rooms with uh, some new augmented reality patents. Yeah, it, it looked like a full room AR kind of a concept versus everyone else has gone for kind of a goggly kind of thing. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I'll have to kind of wait and see what that looks like. Yeah, I do think it's interesting, though. It, it feels like Amazon is putting more effort into 
your home as a place. Um, whereas, you know, everyone else is jumping on the mobile bandwagon and building all these functionalities into the phone. And, you know, obviously Amazon tried that too. Um, wasn't, wasn't super successful so far, but things like the Alexa and things like this potentially that make the, the spaces we live in better. Like there is some logic to that. I, I am interested in that. And it seemed like one of the patents was around gesture recognition. So, you know, being able to do a uh, gesture and, and, uh, with a single camera, a single light source, being able to follow your hands around, um, mm-hmm. to understand the gestures was interesting. And then I'm a big fan of augmented reality and virtual reality, but for a bunch of use cases, it is a deal breaker that you have to put on all this annoying hardware. And so, you know, I do think particularly for augmented reality, the idea that the, the hardware can be permanently installed in your home and just, occur on the walls around you, you know, does have some appeal to me. Yeah. How could we turn it all into Star Wars, though? Yeah, we have to, since this is episode four, I thought I would kind of bring it all back around and uh, mention that uh, they did just announce a Star Wars augmented reality um, uh, experience. So uh, it uses, they partnered with Google, so the, the Google Cardboard you mentioned earlier, and anyone can experience it. You don't have to have the Cardboard, you can just run this on your phone and and just kind of put your hands by your phone and turn around and look through through the experience. It's not as good as having um, some goggles, but it's pretty close. Uh, And what they do here is there's a new world in episode seven. I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Jakku. And they, uh, they fly around that world in the Millennium Falcon. So all you have to do is have the Star Wars app and we'll provide folks with a link so they can definitely experience that and get a little early taste of this new planet. Very exciting stuff. And with that, we should probably uh, bring episode four to a close. So hopefully you found uh, some value and learned a few new things. Um, And if you did, we'd certainly appreciate you subscribing to the podcast. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review. 